Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is March 29th, 2021, here at Rosa Sharon Baptist Church. I am the associate pastor here, Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm joined, as always, with uh, our youth pastor, Jeremiah Custer, our children's pastor, Blake Flincham, and our senior pastor, Reverend Jeff McCarthy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like when I do these intros, it, it's like, you, you know how they, they do right now the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. championships? is like, you know, uh, you, you know, at guard, you know, Jeremiah Custer's like, woo! You know, at four, at small four, you know, <laughs> Blake Flincham and the coach, Jeff McCarthy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no one's hype about the coach. <laughs> oh, Roy. Dadgummit. <laughs> my best Roy Williams. Dadgummit, get on with this thing. <laughs> well, we're glad to be with you today, and uh, we're glad you've decided to tune in. Um, it is Resurrection Week, and um, uh, you know we've, we've turned our attention to that. We've been we've been studying that though for uh, gosh six Sundays now, and we're continuing uh, this Sunday. This past Sunday, we continued our sermon series on fact checking the resurrection, where we're looking at Dr. Gary Habermas using Dr. Gary Habermas's um, six minimal facts argument, and we're looking at each one of those minimal facts and uh, in 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 detail. Uh, we looked at the, the, the death by, of Jesus by crucifixion <clears throat> and the, uh, the burial in a borrowed tomb of Joseph Arimathea. Um, we looked at the fact that the disciples had real experiences that they believed were with the risen Jesus, that these experiences transformed them from <clears throat> fearful followers to faithful martyrs. Um, that in, in, in particular, uh, with that, we looked at the martyrdom of James, right? And, um, <clears throat> and then we looked at the fact that all of this was being proclaimed very early on. Uh, in fact, m- most critical scholars will accept the fact that it was being proclaimed. Um, I think Bart Ehrman's the one that says that by the time Paul takes his walk to, uh, on, on the Damascus Road, which we're going to talk about a lot today, um, <clears throat> that by the time that happens, there is a, um, a sort of a data bank of all these creeds, this early, these early creeds that were already in circulation, wide circulation, by the time Paul gets converted. So um, most people believe that, that, the, that the, these creeds, which 80% of talk about the deity, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that all that was being taught very early, perhaps with even in months of the, of the events themselves. Then last week, we looked at James, the brother of Jesus, and how he went from being an unbelieving skeptic who was basically trying to get Jesus committed to the nut house. Um, he went from that to being a, a, a faithful servant follower. And um, when you look at all this together, just those five alone, man, you go, that's a compelling, uh, you know, a compelling uh, stack of facts that demand an explanation so something has to be able to explain these things and to that stack we're gonna we this past week we, we added a sixth and that may be one of one of the most compelling in some ways I I, you know, I think all these are great but maybe the mo- one of the most compelling is uh, Saul of Tarsus the conversion of Saul of Tarsus to Paul uh, the Apostle and so Blake uh, talked at length yesterday borrowed heavily from um, the Paul's defense of himself in uh, uh, to was he talking to? He's talking to Agrippa. Yeah. Uh, Paul's defense before Agrippa, King Agrippa, in Acts twenty six, um, and I think Festus is also there. 
Um, and so he's, you know, this is Paul's d- defense, Paul's uh, apologia, right? This is this is his apologetic as to why why he's on trial, and, th- th- and he in this uh, details as Blake did his life before uh, these events, the event that happened that that caused him to to change, and then what's happened since then. Um, Paul gives his full testimony here in in Acts 26 in this defense, and in it we see um, we we see again a, a transformation that demands an explanation is the best yeah. way I know to put it. Yeah. Um, so um, we'll dig in here. Um, uh, by the way, again, all these facts that I've mentioned to you are all the minimal facts are all facts historical facts that are accepted by critical scholars, and these are. Um, you know that historians, people who have credentials and such. Not, I'm not talking about just any critic. There are lots of critics who don't accept it, but critical scholars, people who are um, maybe not on the side of, not always on the side of, of conservative Christianity, but those who even like Bart Ehrman and such. These are facts that they will accept as historical. Um, everything I've just laid out, and then. Again, these facts demand an explanation. We think, obviously, the best explanation is that God raised Jesus bodily from the dead, which is just amazing. Um, And so why is Paul, in particular, why is Paul such good evidence for the resurrection? That's sort of the topic on the table today. So let's start with where you started yesterday, right? Let's start with who is this guy? Like, who is this guy? What, what is he doing that makes his conversion so special? Like, there were lots of people, Jeremiah, who, who were converted um, to Christianity. I mean, lots of, lots of probably, there were lots of leaders in the church and stuff like that. Um, why, why, is, why, is, why does Paul stand out? I mean, what is this, what's so special about Paul that he stands out? Besides the fact that he wrote, you know, a good chunk of the New Testament. Yeah, I mean, on this side of things, we we can see all the what he became, right? Right. Uh, and then we have the Bible to tell us what he was before. And if I'm being honest, I think he was probably more famous before. Uh, but he was famous for being a religious zealot or someone who was just zealous for uh, Judaism and uh, zealous for being an enemy of the church or an enemy of what was called the way at the time that he was an enemy of the church. Uh, so, yeah, he w- there, there's been some extreme language. Uh, maybe it's not extreme. I don't know. But there's there's uh, I know that you quoted um, Tony Morita, who called him a terrorist. Uh, others call him a murderer, like he actually murdered people. Uh, I'm probably a little more gracious to what, what he was prior to but what he definitely was was against the church uh and he was definitely present at the stoning of stephen and didn't stop it uh and it looks like he's an authority figure that's somehow over the stoning of stephen or or giving authority to the stoning of stephen if nothing else he at least at one point says he gave his nod to yeah, to, yeah. to he, yeah. he, he but you know if he's casting the if he's casting the vote do we stone Stephen or not he's like he's going to be one he's like yeah we stone him right? yeah. well and he was the one that the chief priest put in charge of hey we've got a problem uh, will you take care of it arrest him persecute him whatever it takes we've got to stop this this from spreading and so 
he was willing and able to be that person. Now, whether he actually, you know, killed someone by his own hands, he was, you know, yeah. complicit in all that. So, you know, terrorist or uh, persecutor or someone who's doing, I mean, in his mind, he was doing the work of God That's for what the people of God uh, and was given the authority by those people that were the leaders of the people of God. So in his mind... He was actually doing God's work. He's Right. I was going to say that. I think it's really important that when we talk about, we'll, we'll differentiate by saying Saul and Paul. Yeah. Um, now, he's the one who changes his name. God doesn't change his name in the, in the case like the Old Testament. Yeah. He changes his name. But in the case, we'll, just, we'll say Saul in reference to the guy beforehand and Paul in yeah. reference to the yeah. just to make it clear. But when we're talking about Saul, I think sometimes a, a, like a... It might be tempting for us because we're looking back at the stories. We're looking, oh, this guy was horrible. He's a terrorist. You know, he's, he's all these things. But I think it's important to note that that guy is doing what he's doing because he thinks he's being righteous. Right, Blake? I mean, yeah. he thinks that what he's doing is a good thing. It's not that he, It's not that he's evil or that he has some sort of malicious glee in doing what he's doing. He's he, he's doing it because he thinks it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and he truly, really believed that because he was simply, you know, Saul was living it out. And he even says that he was a like a Pharisee, which was a very, very strict, strict, rigid adherence, uh, kind of like school of thought when it came to keeping the law. And uh, he kind of, you know, they wanted to be separate from everybody because they wanted to be the best. He wanted to be the best. He... Uh, and he simply thought that, you know, the more he separated from people, the more he did to hurt the church, the more he did to hurt anybody that wasn't really like him, he was doing the Lord's work. Yeah. And that he was in sync with God. Yeah. I mean, is there is there a... I know the word terrorist got thrown up. Is there a modern equivalent to this? I mean, can we think of somebody who's like... I, I can think of I can put my nerd hat on and think of comic book guys that are like that, right? Yeah. That 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 are in they believe that because they're in the service of something good that they're justified in, in taking so extreme action. Um, well, I think that's why probably Marita used the word terrorist because like nine eleven, these men supposedly that ran those planes into those buildings were doing it for God's glory. Yeah, and so. It's not hard for us to see um, uh, an enemy combatant kind of uh, person that, that is doing what they feel like is God's will that's that's causing harm to people. So in Paul's case too, of course, now Paul's he, not Paul's not driving an airplane and killing it. No, 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 people. no. He's he's going and arresting and persecuting people. Well, like but they, but he had Stephen. He was okay with Stephen getting his the death bashed penalty. in yeah. with uh, right rocks. Right. And uh, so, so technically, technically, under his understanding of the law, though that was legal. But for for those guys he was that are extreme Muslims, they think that they have the right to kill people in God, yeah. Allah's name, God's name for them. So yeah. so there is kind of an equivalent here um, that 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 would show that any kind of religious extremism uh, could lead down that pathway. As, but in Paul's case, I think he felt like he was really doing Jehovah God, uh-huh. uh, the one true God's will by by extinguishing this well, group. You know, one, one thing that I, I don't know if it's ever clear in here, but I don't think like it, 
Paul is only is Paul only persecuting those Jews who have become Christians? Yeah, of the way he's in his according to his person. But I mean, like he, at this point, well, when Paul is persecuting, yeah, he wouldn't persecute a Gentile who had become a Christian. They hadn't that happened happened yet. But, well, one it hadn't happened. Yes. Right? Yeah. But so he's so again, like he's he's persecuting those people who supposedly are under under as Jews under the same religion as he is. That's the reason why I don't want I I I don't. When I'm thinking about it, just thinking it out loud here, I don't like that. I actually don't like the comparison between a Muslim terrorist. Well, because they kill innocent. Exactly. Paul, Paul was killed. So when Paul was on his way to Damascus, he was actually following people who had left Jerusalem. Yes. To escape the persecution. Yes. So it's kind of interesting because the apostles stayed behind. So Paul's on his way to go get, I guess, Hellenistic speaking people because Stephen was. Uh, Greek speaking, so mm-hmm. he, so I think he's after a certain segment of the segment. I think he is too. The Hellenistic Jew, but that's us just right. talking. Right, no, that's us. Right, that's so us that's I about. mean that's where he was going. He was going to go after people that had fled, right, bottom, men and women. So. Right. Bottom line is, there's no doubt at this table that the man hated Christianity, right? Yes. I mean, and I think, and I think that's what's the. If we were going to pull something out of all that, the, the, the important thing is that. He hated And how does somebody like that then become a leader? Right, right. We'll, so, get, yeah. and we're, and we'll get there. So that's right? the main point on this one. Exactly. So so if you look back at his life, and he he would later admit, Jeremiah, that he hated Christianity. That yeah. like, he, 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 he saw it as, as wrong. And, um, and by the way, knowing Paul now, right, we know he's pretty transparent about his life before. Yeah. He never... The, one of the reasons I don't believe he... He murdered or was a terrorist or anything because he never self-proclaims himself that way. Mm. But he's willing to admit other sins that he has committed, even right. specific sins, calling himself the chief of sinner, but never says I murdered or he just says I was a persecutor of the way. Right. I um, would say that that after after his conversion, he probably looked back at his his actions with Stephen and with those others, and went, "I shouldn't have done that." Yeah, obviously. Right? I mean, I'm like, I'm sure well, that's I'm, why he probably says I'm the chief among sinners because right. you know technically he would have blood on his hand, innocent yeah. blood. Yeah. And that, the, yeah, right. I mean, you know, and and well, and let's get to his his conversion, which I was going to say. Jesus, Jesus says, tells him. You're, you're not really persecuting them. You're persecuting yes. me, yeah. which is why, yeah, you and I are on the same page with James. <laughs> <laughs> let's, get, let's get into his actual conversion experience because unlike James, and you brought this up before we start recording, Jeff, unlike James, we don't have, like, or uh, we have, rather, a detailed account of, how, of what happened with Paul. Mm-hmm. With James, the brother of Jesus, we know that according to Paul's quoting of the creed, he, the risen Jesus appeared to him. Yeah. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know the words that were exchanged there. We just know it was enough to change James, right? But when Paul saw Paul, it's totally different, right? And so um, I know you're already you're looking at Acts nine over there. So um, sh- share with us a little bit here about this conversion. What actually happens here? All right. So if you go down to, uh, I mean, if well, if you look at verse one, it says then Saul still breathing threats and murder. Against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked for letters to go to the synagogues of Damascus. So if he found anyone uh, who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
So they were going to bring him on trial. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Right. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Because then he goes to the city and waits for Ananias. So, so obviously, uh, he's on his way to persecute. And potentially even, murder. Potentially murder. <laughs> found anybody who's not willing to come. And so, Jesus shows up, the Lord shows up, and tells him, why are you persecuted? Blake, I remember you coming to my office last week, and, and we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. It, it, like, why does he call him Lord? Yeah, that is really interesting, and there's definitely a reason I didn't talk about that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and Because uh, I, I know when you and I were talking, Jonathan, it, from at least from what I've studied, because I even tried to look at it this week, and I never really could find a, a decent explanation. Hmm. Um, and I'm thinking it might just be maybe Luke writing, like maybe after the fact, he's just acknowledging the lordship, maybe, possibly. I don't necessarily like that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I would be 100% on board yeah, with I'm that. Not, and I'm personally, just for the right, I'm not really on board with that either. Um, but I get what you're saying, right? Like, why yeah. does he call him Lord when he's not and, Lord of his life yet? Right, and it could be like a, maybe he's, you know, he is a Jew. He does believe like in Yahweh. Yes. And he could say, you know, maybe he sees this and thinks that it is from Yahweh. Right, and I and, think that's the key, Blake. Yeah. Go back to when I was talking about the creeds before. Yeah. Um, the word that's translated Lord in the New Testament is the, uh, in the, in the, in the Greek New Testament, is the same Greek word that's used in the Old Testament translate Greek Old Testament translation of the Septuagint. Right. That they use to translate uh, Yahweh. Yeah. So, or Jehovah, right? So, yeah. the fact that they're actually, when, when Luke records the early sermons of Peter uh, and, and they're referring to Jesus as Lord in all those sermons, and they're using that same exact word that's used to translate Yahweh in the Old Testament. There is a one-to-one relationship between the God of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So when Paul says then, Lord, at this, I think that what you said a minute ago is, is exactly what's going on. I think yeah. he, he's, he's recognizing this is God. Yeah. Well, and when he says, who are you, if he say Jehovah... Then the Jehovah said, I am Jesus. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is revealing, yeah, you just called me Jehovah, but my name is Jesus. Right. So he knows now, based on that, because the next question is, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? Right. So it's all tied in there. I mean, he realizes that this, this extreme light person in front of him, speaking to him, He's never seen or experienced before in his entire life. Yeah. So he's recognized this has to be God. Yeah. And then he says, who are you, God? And he says, I'm Jesus. Yeah. So that was the... That's very possible. The One yeah. other possibility on this that I thought about, and I, I'll, be, I'll just be completely transparent here, guys. I've now looked at the Greek on this. Um, I'm assuming that they, they're using that same word, Lord, there that's used in the sermons. It might not be the same word. Because um, there's also, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeremiah, 
isn't there a word for Lord that just means somebody who's higher up, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a term of, of authority or a term of submission. Yeah, right? like household leader. Right, household leader. So like, but that it's, it's, but it's a, never, it's, but it's, it's not this, capitalized with us. It's the same word. Yeah. They only it is, the same, it is yeah. the same word in both in both instances. And in, in the original, there's it when it's, well, in the original, there's no capital. Right. So it's it it's people making that decision for us, right? Right. right. But in this particular text, in Acts twenty six or sorry Acts nine, uh, he says, "Who are you, Lord?" Uses kurios, but then Luke uses, uh, "And the Lord said, mm-hmm. kurios." Oh, so okay. he uses curios for both. He does use when Paul for says, "Who God. are you, Lord?" But then Luke says, that "The Lord said." Uses curios. So okay. I think, yeah, both and both of them are talking about y'all. But the main thing, Jesus has revealed himself that I'm, yeah, I'm and, the yeah, curios, I'm the judge. And the Lord said, "I am Jesus." Right. Ego right. me, Jesus or Jesus. Uh, I am Jesus. So clearly, I mean, you know, go, at this point now, you, you put yourself. In, Saul's shoes, and you hear that, right? You, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna rock your world because wait, whoa, hold up, Jesus? That the you mean the Jesus that they've all been proclaiming, the Jesus that I've been saying was just another dude, the Jesus that I've been telling all these Christians to shut up about? That's you? You're yeah. you're talking to me now? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, you're persecuting me. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) You're kicking against the guys. He's like, yeah. The Jesus who died? The Messiah who died? That guy? Yeah. like... Because Paul is a—he's a religious Jew, a, a solid yeah. Jew. Yeah, you know, and I think he's still looking for the Messiah. And mm-hmm. I'm sure at one point he was like, "Dude, Jesus could be the Messiah," but when Jesus dies, his Judaism tells him, "Oh, he's not the Messiah." Exactly. Yeah, and I think at this point it's 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 uh it's significant to to mention that that Paul Paul waits three years. And we don't really know what's going on. There's, there's some, you know, we've talked about this before. There's some speculation as to, you know, what's going on during these three years. But my, at, at bottom, I think he's, it's taking him some time to process this. Yes. I think he's going and processing. I mean, this is an Old Testament scholar who uh, Gary Habermas calls him, like I said before, like a PhD of the Old Testament, right? Like he, this guy is an Old Testament scholar. He's a genius when it comes to the Old Testament. He really knows his stuff. I think he had like a photographic memory. Yeah, I think I think what he did was I think he went and I don't think he had a crisis of faith at that point. No, I think he's just trying to figure out how does this work together, With right? Whatever, yeah. what everything I've been taught and lived my entire life, how does this fit in that? And he figures it out, and and you know we get we get we get the outworking of his theology as 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 spelled out in the various epistles that he writes. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, that that moment that that moment obviously changes a lot. And how do we know that moment really happened, right? Okay, so we can might I'm sure that there are Blake. I'm sure that there are critics who will say, "Yeah, that's Luke writing after the fact, and he's putting words in Paul's mouth." Paul never really had this experience. Paul, um, the Paul that we know of, um, was. You know that that this didn't really happen. This is more like a myth, myth right? It's a, it's a mythology. This is akin to the the Roman myths and those kind of great encounters with supernatural deity and stuff. And this is just his way of doing it. How do we know that that's not the case? How do we know that this is not just another myth? 
Well, that's I, not our story. I would submit to you, look at the books of like Philippians, Colossians, uh, Ephesians. Those are uh, recipients from Paul. Um, you know, even if you did want to say, well, you know, Luke's just making out well, you've still got this same guy who's writing to the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, mm-hmm. uh, the church at Galatia. Even in Galatians, he talked, uh, in Philippians, he talks about um, who he was before. And so he's already given evidence to that and there. So there's a lot more people he affected and that his conversion affected. And, right. Yeah. As long as you believe that Paul wrote these letters, right? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 um, now, critics will, I think critics accept seven of the letters. Galatians is one of them. Yeah. Uh, I think um, they don't accept Second Timothy. They're, I can't remember which ones they accept and don't accept. But there's all, they accept seven of them as actually Pauline, right? right. But they, they say, okay, yeah, Paul probably most likely wrote these. Jeremiah, let's say, for the sake of argument here, though, that, um, that Paul didn't write any of those things. Now, it wasn't Paul who wrote it, right? But uh, uh, they're written around the time of Paul. Paul didn't write it. Or that Paul wrote some of it. What evidence is there then still that would say that the story that Luke mentions here in, in his defense is not a myth? Yeah, I guess we'd have to appeal to later in Acts. Is that what you're... Well, I would... Yeah, or, or I mean, he, just he literally or just, stands... his, just history in general, what we know about yeah. this guy named Paul. We, I mean, outside of the Bible, we don't know much about Paul. Well, Clement, Clement of Rome writes, yeah. and he says he's the greatest example of endurance. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of church fathers who quote Paul, but again... They could just be mis misquoting someone who didn't write Paul. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I think the best evidence is him standing trial. Right. Uh, so in Acts 9, that's Luke telling the story, right? But then there's three different times later in Acts where Luke is an eyewitness or at least present or almost present with, with Paul because uh, Luke begins to travel with Paul. And then Paul, Paul stands trial on three different occasions and even appeals to Caesar. And I assume all that can be verified through history if, if those records uh, mm. survived, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a court appearance, right. uh, like a, the highest court appearance at that time. Uh, he appeals to Caesar. Then even before Caesar gives his defense, and he tells almost word for word the same story that we have in Acts right. 9. Um, and uh, to, in addition to uh, your question... Even if you take, you know, things out, you know, if you're not looking at the scriptural aspect, you know, Paul did die in prison. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, I think he was beheaded. And he was beheaded for the Christian faith. So why did some, and it kind of goes back to our sermon from a few weeks ago, but why would a guy like Paul, who was so, you know, heck bent on killing people or having people persecuted beforehand, and now he's... And now he's dying for the Lord. I think you would have to ask yourself that question. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think all this is, is, is again, oh, here they are. So Galatians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Philemon, Philippians, and 1 Thessalonians, most scholars agree that Paul actually wrote all of those. And you can take, you can take accounts from all those, including 1 Corinthians, Right. 
So it is like First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah, First Corinthians fifteen. Describes that's right. And Second Corinthians. Okay, so Second Corinthians critical scholars accept that, and and you quoted from Second Corinthians eleven, where Paul lists in detail all the things that he suffered. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have to go into all that, but I mean, like, he's like, uh, he's like five times I received from the Jews forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, you know, I faced dangers from rivers, robbers, pe- my own people, Gentiles, dangers in the city and in the country, on the sea, among false brothers, many sleepless nights, labor and hardship, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, cold uh, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. Not to mention other things. I love the fact that he says, not to mention other yeah. things, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just fell on the blind. Just the daily pressure. <laughs> things like the daily pressure on me. My care for all the churches. And like he's listing all these things. Why would he suffer all that? Yeah. If, if, it's, if it's agreed that Paul wrote this, why in the world would he say, I've suffered all of this if right. it didn't, if it was a myth, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the big... Uh... The big thing that's kind of cool for uh, scholars and all to say that that, that Paul invented Christianity. Mm-hmm. It never was meant to be what it was meant to be. And he created, because he was such a genius in the Old Testament, he created all these this theology and made it all work. Uh, but, you know, if you look at Paul, if you look at Saul prior to this conversion, he was it. I mean, he was pretty much... Uh, he was the rock star of the Jewish religion. Like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sick Paul on him. I mean, he was the man. I mean, he he could have had anything and everything he wanted, mm-hmm. power, prestige, all of that, mm-hmm. because because he was willing to persecute the way. Now all of a sudden, boom, he he walks into the way. Who is a person named Jesus? When Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life," and he realizes I'm persecuting the one. That, that is basically changing the world. Yep. And so now I have an opportunity to change the world too, but in a different way than what I thought. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard for cr- critics to agree. Like he wrote these letters, but then they then they uh, try to say, well, he invented Christianity. I mean, right. It doesn't make sense. None of this would make sense from mm-hmm. a logical, reasonable point of view well and what motivate right what motivation yeah, like, does what, he, he have? doesn't have anything to gain by becoming a christian like if, I, zero if you gain. right if you wanted to say okay um by becoming a christian paul became the leader of a church and amassed lots of money for himself and lots of fame and fortune and influence and such then you could make a case for okay that would be why he might do it right I mean, he he saw he saw an opportunity. I mean, like fast forward the tape, like during the time of Constantine, right? When Constantine, the, the emperor, becomes a Christian himself. Okay, now it's like it's with it's a good idea to be a Christian because then you you're in line with the emperor. You're right. You're but at this time it's not. <laughs> it, it, it's it's not a good time to be a Christian. Um, people are being persecuted. People are being killed for this. Um, and Paul himself lists all the things that, that he says he endured. Like, I don't see what he has to gain from making it up to no. Not just that, he had a lot to lose. Um, so, like, we haven't quoted Philippians 3 yet. Uh, we've, we've talked about it, right? That he right. was a very influential guy. But it sounds like to me, 
he well I'll just I'll quote it and then I'll kind of comment on it for a second. He says this in regards to the flesh, I have more confidence. Basically he begins boasting like I have more confidence to boast in the flesh than anyone. He says, as far as being a Jew or as far as uh, uh, being confident in the flesh, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like every good Jewish boy of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, a persecutor of the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. And so when we talk about Paul, I mean, he... he he couldn't be a priest, right? He couldn't be the high priest because he's not Levite. Right. And he's not from the tribe of Aaron or from the line of Aaron. So he couldn't be like the high priest. He couldn't be a priest. But he definitely could have been a rabbi and a very influential rabbi. And I think that's where he would have headed towards uh, once he became 30, if he's not already 30. Uh, we don't know his age. And, and, and with the life of a rabbi back then in Jerusalem, would that have been something that would have been desired by by the people of that of that day and age? I mean, was there... Was was it a good career? Yeah, for a young Jewish boy, for for sure. I mean, like that's what you want to be. That's the pinnacle of, of of. I I guess there could be uh, rabbis who are women. I don't actually don't know about that. About the they are now, but back then. Back then, no. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. I mean, that's if you weren't Levite, that's what you would aspire to be. I mean, that's that's just you study, you study the law, you study the word, you memorize, and then. Uh, you show your allegiance by going and persecuting those who are against that. And uh, that's where he was headed. So not only does he not gain much, in fact, nothing. Uh, you just read in Second Corinthians, there was times he had no clothes, no food. That doesn't sound like someone who's rich and living a cushy life because of this decision he's made. So he doesn't gain anything, but I think he loses a whole lot right. by, by switching. Then those same scholars, we talk about this guy who's, or, or at least Paul himself says, I was a strict Jew. I was I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's verifiable. But then those same critical scholars then attribute him to creating Christianity. <laughs> you can't have both, right? Right. You can't say, oh, he was, he was just that before, uh, but afterwards there was no change. But you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You can't say both things but how does he go from being that guy before to being the guy who created christianity or accused of creating christianity right. so like what about what is there like you know obviously he had nothing to gain we, we've established that i think i think scholars would have to admit that right i mean i don't think any scholar could say that he had something to gain from doing this I, like I can't think of anybody who would who would try to claim that unless they don't believe those things happened to him. Well, right, but even if they don't believe those things happened to him, there at that time and in that world there was still nothing to gain and everything to lose yes. by accepting Christianity. Yeah. So the only reason to do it would be if you had gone crazy, like you'd gone insane, like you would just literally have lost your mind. And you know, in fact, that's, that's, what, that's uh, what they said. Much learning has made you mad. That's what that's, that's what, what that's what's going to say. Uh, right? Felix said to him, I believe. Right. I think it's Felix. Festus, Festus, or Felix, one of them. Right. So no, in, it's in Festus. Right. You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study <laughs> is driving you mad. Yeah. Is driving you mad. So he's he's accusing him of having lost his mind. Yes. But reading, okay. So take a step back <laughs> out of our pastor shoes for a second. Reading those accepted letters that we talked about, if we went and read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, was it Galatians, Philippians, and I'm, 
Romans, Romans yeah. Philemon. Uh, right. uh, Philemon's not on there, but First Thessalonians is. So Galatians, First and Second Corinthians, Romans, Philemon, Philippians, and First Thessalonians. Well, just take the two Corinthians and Romans, right? So, like, like <laughs> those those letters. If, if take take your pastor's shoes off for some, you read those. Does that? I'll start with you, Blake. Does that sound like the ravings of a madman? No, not at all, because he seems real. I mean, he's very articulate, very uh, organized in his logic, in his thought, and especially when it comes to Romans, talking about, uh, you know, some relationships between Gentiles and Jews. And, you know, sometimes he's speaking to the Jews, sometimes he's speaking to the Gentiles. He's very, he's very uh, sophisticated in how he, and how he approaches a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's not, there's no way he's mad writing that. No, I, I, that's what I would say too. I mean, even if I was being super critical, right? You know, I was looking for evidences of, okay, this guy's lost his mind. But there's not any evidences. The only, the only thing you can say about him is he clearly believes in a resurrection. He believes that it's possible for the dead to be raised again. And if you want to hold that against him, then you have to come at it and saying, with a presupposition of miracles aren't possible. And if you're going to say miracles aren't possible, then you also have to have the presupposition that God doesn't exist. But I mean, you got you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, if 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 God exists, then miracles are possible. And if miracles are possible, then the dead can be raised raised to life again. Right. There's there's you know, if God created it from nothing, then the resurrection is nothing for him. Like that that's that's absolutely doable. Um, and so the only way that you could come at it and say. Well, this just isn't, this isn't, this is, you know, Paul's believing in, in silliness is just to just to come to the table with another presupposition that you really don't have any evidence for, right? Um, and so I, I, I just, I think Paul is a really good example of yet another fact that's that's you know the conversion of paul is well yeah, you accepted can't, you by can't explain scholars. paul i mean the other the other ones we looked at maybe you can explain away a little bit but but with paul you really can't explain it away i mean either he did see this or he didn't yeah either he did hear it or he didn't and either he, it changed his life or it didn't there's just no there's no no other way to say that other than the fact that he experienced something that changed his life completely like and I, like put I, him on a different pathway which he didn't have to take he didn't have to go on missionary journeys he didn't have to be a preacher to the gentiles he didn't have to be run out of town and re- arrested and beaten and all that and finally when he does assert his his roman citizenship near the end he probably was fed up with it it's like look i'm a roman citizen take me to caesar right and given that opportunity really to 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 because he he was told that he would actually speak to kings and governors and Gentile leaders. And it gave him that opportunity to do that. Now, we wouldn't pick... Now, if we would have been told, hey, you're going to be a, a preacher to the president, stuff like that, we'd be like, this is great. But if we knew that we were going to be imprisoned and beaten in order to have that audience, we'd be like, no way. So, right. so I mean, clearly, I mean, Paul is just... I mean... Especially when you consider... <laughs> look, any one of us, let's just be honest, any one of us that faced some of the stuff Paul faced, we would have quit. There's preachers who quit for less than that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, there are preachers who leave the ministry for less than that. Yes. Oh, and, uh, it, and Jeff the, makes a good point. He was warned from the beginning. Yeah. It actually says that I, uh, God tells him, I will show you. I'm trying to look for it. I will show you how much you must suffer for the sake of my name. Yeah. Uh, where's that? It's in Acts 9. 
Well, I think it's in the original testimony, right? In yeah. Acts 9. Or it might, is it? Yeah, 9, uh, Acts 9, 15, and 16. Yeah. Yeah. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. And he's talking to um, Ananias here. Yeah. Um, to bear my name before the Gentiles, Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Hmm. And then Ananias goes his way. And, so he was warned from the beginning yes. that this was going to happen to him, and yet still he follows. Hmm. Well, even even he becomes so convinced by something, <laughs> right, right, that he begins to follow, even though he's going to gain nothing and lose everything. Well, and even at the beginning, and even throughout his ministry, really, there were certain Christians that didn't believe that he was a Christian. At the very beginning, they thought, well, no, the, he's, he's, just, very beginning, oh, yeah. he's just trying to at be a spy. He doesn't have friends he's, on the other side. Yes, <laughs> and, then, and then even later on in his writings, people were like, no, nah, we, you know, they were against Paul because oh, they just nice. didn't trust him. Here was like, nah, uh. So he was oh, kicked, yeah, no, right? he's kicked out of both social groups then. <laughs> so it's just, it really is when you consider the life of Paul, it really is, like you said, it's, it's kind of mind blowing because. He, he had ample opportunities to quit preaching. He could have quit saying, but something compelled him. And the only, the only thing that I could think of that compelled this man to abandon, this is a dude who hated Christianity and now loves it so much that he's willing to give his life for it and willing to love those who are persecuting him. Yes. Like he goes, he goes and he's preaching to the people that are, there is, that are his jailers. I, that kind of transformation, it takes something miraculous. Well, like it'd be like us if we went to Riverside High School and we were like, so all the students there, and we would say, well, pick out the one that you think is going to be the best Christian out there. The kid that's got all the tats and the spiked hair, right. and, you know, the Mar- Marilyn Manson shirt, or whatever. That's going to be the one we got. No, it's not going to be him. It's the kid over here that's that's leading the the FCA. Right. That's right. going to be the leader of Christianity. Right. So so God says no. The leader of Christianity <laughs> is going to be is going to be the persecutor. The one who's the one that the has most. everything to lose and nothing to gain. That's the one I want. Yeah. To change the world. And yeah. so that's the way we are too. It's almost we have nothing to lose, nothing to gain, but God wants to use us to help change the world. It's work. almost as if, and I, and I don't I don't think it's almost. I think it is. It's almost as if God's like, they're gonna there's gonna be skeptics, there's gonna be critics. I'm gonna give them a piece of evidence that just will blow them out, blow any of that out of the water, and I'm gonna do it with my, with my servant with my servant Paul. Um, Wow, it's a it's a great story and a great testimony. Um, so thanks, Blake, for for, for yep, bringing that yesterday. And and, uh, and and then also just just as a as a closer to this, you know, kind of kind of tying that into where we are right now, uh, not just in the apologetic sense, but also how um, you know Paul Paul very. I think you made a point of this yesterday that Paul very simply gives his testimony. Yeah, he tells where he was beforehand, tells what happened in his encounter with Jesus. And then what happened afterwards, um, and that same pattern can be used by any one of us. Yeah, point. and uh, if you go back and listen to the sermon, if you missed out on it, you know I basically went through how you could share your testimony in fifteen seconds. And so, don't feel like you got to go into a Jewish courtroom or a Gentile courtroom <laughs> and almost get stoned for saying your testimony. So <laughs> it's pretty pretty easy way, especially during Easter season. Right? Yeah, absolutely during so, Easter season. Yeah. All right, well, this has been great. Listen, next week um, we will be doing our midweek main point, not Monday main point, because 
of Easter of the Easter holiday. We'll we'll be out of the office on Monday, uh, but we will return. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, the final piece of evidence that we're going to look at on Easter Sunday, which is the empty tomb, Jeff. And there's there's some good stuff about that. And I'm looking forward to hearing where you're going to go. I'm really hoping that you're going to bring the story of the guard. And, oh, uh, man. <laughs> all right, all right. Spoilers. <laughs> I just I just spoiled it. I'm sorry. So anyway. Uh, no, you just confirmed that's where I'm right, so, right. So, so, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, then go dig it out for yourself and, and come back here next Wednesday and listen to us debate it <laughs> and, and, and talk about it because I think it's and, good. Uh, before Easter, Friday, on Good Friday, we're going to talk about a word called propitiation. Oh, okay. So uh, show up for that, too. Yeah, if you're yeah, if you're listening to this and you're in town here in Durham, uh, I, you know, I probably should say this every week. We would love to have you worship with us in person. We are, we are doing in-person worship services, uh, you know, with social distance still with masks, even though we know people are getting vaccinated. Um, and this Friday evening, yeah, we're going to do our worship at the cross service. Our Good Friday service at seven o'clock here, and uh, that's going to be great. So if you're in town, if you're around, uh, come join us for that service, and come join us anytime on Sunday mornings at ten o'clock at Rosa Sharon, or join us on Facebook at ten o'clock on Rosa Sharon. And if you enjoy these podcasts, let us know. Uh, we like doing it. We hope that you enjoy listening to it. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you when we meet in the next time next Wednesday. <laughs> so long.